0: I am Douglas Little, founder, perfumer, and creative director for Heretic Perfume. You are listening to the I Am Heretic podcast. These podcasts are an exploration of the senses with a focus on fragrance, how it's made, the effects it has, and the incredible people it has led me to meet. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Aaron Glover, who is the president of Organic Alcohol. Aaron, thank you so much for being part of this podcast.
1: Thanks, Doug. It's really great to be here. I guess I'll start with how I got into it. There was a family friend of ours that had worked at a organic distillery up in Washington who had somehow fell into it, kind of initially started as a beverage operation, but there was a large herbal company up in that area that was basically contracted them to produce high-proof organic alcohol so that they could have available to make their herbal extracts. And That kind of planted the idea in my head, and from there, I ended up going to this kind of intensive alcohol school in Kentucky um, that kind of covered multiple markets and industries relating to alcohol, and I just kind of got the bee in my bonnet, so to speak. It sounded like an intriguing concept, and because of my understanding and awareness of the market, I knew that there was... A lot of herbal extract manufacturers and herbalists that put, you know, unbelievable care and consideration and energy into sourcing highest quality organic herbs and botanicals, wild crafting, you know, sometimes spending weeks, months out in forests and deserts, wild crafting these amazing botanicals and there was a general lack of availability of organic alcohol in the market. And as you stated, in relation to fragrance, it's the same thing with a botanical extract, probably something more like 98% of the finished product is alcohol. And what I identified was that a lot of these companies that were wanting to have a certified organic, botanical or herbal extract on the market, had to have a certified organic alcohol or they could not get their products certified. There was maybe one or two sources available of organic high-proof alcohol at that point in time, but they were from these huge companies. They kind of did it as an afterthought. The minimum quantities were very large. They are really hard to work with. So I kind of capitalized on that and thought, you know, hey, if we could have a, you know, a regional produced high quality certified organic alcohol, make it available in smaller quantities, I have a feeling a lot of people would be real interested in that. And so I kind of went for it on a, on a hunch and a whim that brought me to the point of figuring out how to actually build a distillery and make alcohol with no real prior background training in that whatsoever.
0: When I was starting my line in 2011, I had a very clear idea that I was going to work with these extremely expensive natural materials, very similar to people that do wild harvesting. And some of my materials are, you know, three to $6,000 a pound for these essential oils and concretes and, and absolutes. Why would I take and put them in anything that was anything less than amazing? And so when I was reaching out to various distilleries, the best one that I found was in Europe and I was working with a wheat alcohol. And they wanted me to buy huge amounts of it and then on top of it getting it from Europe into the states was a whole other you know problem due to the taxation the fact that the alcohol was non-denatured i got this crash course in alcohol that was very severe and then shortly after i came on some of your product and fell in completely in love with it and you know what you do and the varieties of materials that you offer are incredible can you talk a little bit about what is the difference between organic alcohol, and traditional SD40 perfumer's alcohol?
1: Pure alcohol or ethyl alcohol, and it can be a variety of things all the way from, you know, what you would get in your bottle of vodka at the liquor store to the high-proof food and pharmaceutical-grade alcohol that we primarily sell, which is generally in that, you know, 95% or 190-proof realm, which tends to be more applicable for manufacturers because people want you know, as a solvent, which alcohol is, you want as much alcohol available and as little water as possible. And that's why, you know, a lot of people that do go and buy vodkas and things like that. Oregon we're lucky because you can go and get EverClear, which is 190 proof. Your formulations, whether you're doing an extraction or or what have you, and all the different myriad of ways that alcohol is used as a as a solvent. Um you essentially are losing a lot of potential value in the constituents, botanical or otherwise that you're going for and doing the extractions. And so pure alcohol is really simple. I mean, the, the process in creating, uh, producing organic alcohol is really not much different than, you know, what moonshiners have been doing and and humans have been doing for really thousands of years It's a simple process of natural fermentation and then a process of distillation. And natural fermentation is really, you know, very simplistic. It's yeast, utilize sugar, and produce a byproduct of alcohol. Traditionally, corn being a big one in this country, wheat, as you said before, from the European company, is very common. Any kind of grain or fruit with a high sugar content or high sugar content potential can be used to do natural fermentation.
0: All of the alcohols that you produce, are they non-denatured?
1: So when we first started, we we started with an organic corn alcohol, and that was the first thing we did. There was a lot of concerns, even with the certified organic corn, around cross-pollination with genetically modified corn and this potential for GMO contamination, even in certified organic crops. And they do a lot to make sure that that isn't happening. And so we started to kind of look for an alternative to an organic corn-based alcohol. And we ended up developing a really great relationship with Fry Vineyards out of kind of in the Hopland area of California. And they were one of the first organic and now largely biodynamic wineries on the West Coast. And we started basically buying large amounts of their wine from them. And we started bringing that in and distilling their wine. And producing a grape spirit. And somehow, I think it really started with Jeannie Rose. She, she stumbled across this grape alcohol of ours and realized that it was just absolutely better than, than anything she had ever found. There's a fragrance quality in the grape spirit that's really unique. And I still think that our grape spirit is probably the most sought after in that space because it just happens to have these properties that seem to really work well with perfuming.
0: It's important for people to understand that the products that you create are mainly being used for creating tinctures and, you know, medical type of products that are being made from herbs and whatnot. And then that there's also it's being used by perfumers. And so it's very important the aspect of product that you make being non-denatured. And there's so much confusion in the market with what is denaturing and why is it done. But then there's the government aspect of it, which I think is also really interesting for people to understand because it's so much deeper than just being a non-denatured or denatured alcohol.
1: What's often called denatured alcohol or denatured rectified spirit it's basically ethanol that has something added to it to make it poisonous, bad tasting, foul smelling, or nauseating. And that has to do with discouraging recreational consumption. So it really, you're, the two parts of your question are really actually completely linked in with one another. And you almost have to put the the federal piece first, because really what it comes down to is the excise tax. And so Pure undenatured alcohol, the, which we sell primarily, is, is taxed as a beverage at a very, very high tax rate. And the, the specifics on that are, you know, it's $13.50 for every proof gallon. So if you're talking about 190 proof or 95%, that's $25.65 in excise tax for just the federal excise tax for that alcohol. But the problem is, is that a lot of people need pure alcohol who aren't making a beverage product or selling it as an alcoholic beverage in any way, shape, or form. They're using it as a manufacturing raw material or manufacture a host of different products. And there's just more than you could probably possibly imagine. I'm still actually shocked sometimes. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know you could use it for that. And so, really, the, the denatured alcohol came to be essentially to allow manufacturers to buy an alcohol free of federal excise tax for specific manufacturing needs. And there's a wide range and variety of denatured products. This can come down to denatured alcohol that you buy as a fuel for camp stoves and that kind of thing, which is denatured with just nasty petroleum-based chemicals. The most common, and this is an SD40 product, is the, the common or most well-known name is called Bitrix. And it's a very, very, very strong bittering agent. This can then be purchased free of excise tax. But in, cert, in producing certified organic alcohol, almost every approved denaturant out there is not approved for organic standards. We can't, Produce a bictrix based denaturant and call it certified organic. One of the original terms was methylated alcohol, which is, means they're basically adding methanol, concentrated methanol, into the alcohol to make it denatured. And, and again, in certain industrial application, it's fine; it makes sense. There's nothing wrong with it. But once you get into the realm of food flavoring and cosmetics, you know, body care products. Most of these denatured formulas won't work for that because they have you know, either a, a mild or severe toxicity component to it or an extremely nasty smell. There is a whole host of denatured formulations that are approved by the Tax and Trade Bureau. So SD means specially denatured and there's two categories of denatured alcohol. There's fully denatured alcohol and then there's specially denatured alcohol. And fully denatured alcohol is is things like isopropyl alcohol, alcohol, there's a formula called A12, which is denatured with N-heptane. There's alcohol denatured with methanol, benzene, things like this, which are all very toxic that you can essentially buy as an industrial alcohol. You don't even need to have a permit for it or anything. Now, the SDs are the specially denatured alcohols. Those are formulations that are really more for the cosmetics industry more than anything else. And because a lot of people needed something in between, yes, we need the product. We can't pay this ridiculous excise tax. And so there is now available some formulations. And the ones that we did carry for quite a while are the SD38. So those are actually specially denatured products that are denatured with basically pure essential oils. And we did for quite a while carry a line of alcohol denatured with certified organic essential oils that qualified as denatured alcohol. We had a a lemon, a lavender, a bergamot, and a menthol. Those were the formulations that we we did and, and sold for a while. But we, you know, probably partly on us for not, you know, kind of marketing or focusing enough on sort of who those would really be valuable for. We did temporarily discontinue the line. We we just weren't getting quite enough traction on it. But my original idea was that a lot of these perfumers and cosmetic manufacturers, they could buy, you know, they would be able to buy an SD38 formula, one of these alcohols denatured with pure organic essential oils and use those in their formulations and that would save them the excise tax. But I think that for perfuming it's challenging and I'm you know, I'm not a perfumer myself, and so I, I won't pretend to be an expert. You can probably speak to this much better than I can. I think that for some people it was really fantastic. You know, we had companies making things like breath fresheners and hairsprays and mouthwashes and things like that where these formulas worked really well. But I think for perfumers it it was too challenging to work with that base because essentially you had to formulate so if you bought an SD38 say denatured with organic lemon essential oil
0: you had to
1: have that lemon as part of your your formulation for your fragrance you you couldn't you can't get rid of it it's it's in there it's in the alcohol and i think that a lot of perfumers that Because the quantities generally they're buying aren't so huge, it was easier for them to just pay the excise tax and not have to deal with the complication of formulating with these other ingredients.
0: It's hugely problematic when I was working on not only the Heretic Collection, but when I was developing the fragrances with Goop, I sat with Gwyneth for many appointments where we would sit down and talk about the alcohol and about how important it was going to be to find an alcohol that was deeply transparent about the way that it was made, it's being organic, all of these things. And I was explaining to her that it was debilitating the natural denaturants that were available because the ones that I had found at that time were rose, geranium, and lavender. And the the odor profile of the alcohol was so intense that there was no way of getting around the odor profile for doing fine fragrance. And the thing that was so infuriating was when I was really digging deep into this, and I was going and actually, I was working with a company out of the Central Coast that is a... they. They harvest grapes for uh, table grapes, mainly, and for making raisins. They're called Marion Farms. Gina, who runs that place, is incredible. She's a total genius. And she. I went up there, spent time with her, and we were looking at various formulas. And she said, look, I can help you submit denaturing formula to the government so that we can release the alcohol to you with your denaturants. So we were looking at, okay, so if we're going to make four fragrances, that these four fragrances will have, each one would have a different base that will submit to the government, which would be the denaturant for these formulas. But then it came into, you know, it was a year process of submitting it to the government, the government recognizing it, it coming back it clearing, it became so problematic that again, as you said, it was just so much easier for us to buy and to pay this huge tax on the alcohol that the government assumed that we were, you know, drinking in our perfume room. So
1: yeah, right, exactly. I mean, And it's really unfortunate, and there is a lot of this in multiple markets that we deal with. You know, it becomes a a sort of unfair competitive disadvantage in a lot of ways. I often go to public policy conferences in D.C. I'm working with some of our state and uh, national representatives on on trying to influence and, and to get their attention on some of these things that are really you know, essentially counter counter productive in supporting business growth, um, which we can all agree on is, is, is good, good for the economy, good for our community, especially in supporting small businesses. So, you know, there is a lot that can be done, but it's it's a long, slow and tedious process and, and you know, we all need know in business you need immediate solutions. It's the nature of things. So like with a thirty eight B formulation, it's you, you need to use ten pounds of the material in 100 gallons of alcohol. And so, as you can imagine, alcohol being, being essentially neutral, if you were to take any of the approved essential oils that are acceptable for these formulations, you know, if you think lavender, lemon, bergamot, any of these, there's very strong profiles, nothing real subtle has been approved as of now. And you think about 10 pounds of lavender essential oil, and essentially, you know, a little less than two drums of alcohol. Very strong. It's not a subtle thing that you can be like, okay, I can have this, you know, very subtle lavender note, and that will work, and I can work around that. It's like, wow, I need to, you know, this, this fragrance I'm creating has to be designed around getting punched in the face with lavender, because that's essentially, what's going to
0: happen. The thing that was fascinating, too, was, you know, and again, getting into the kind of the legislation and the government restrictions on everything, when we were doing the pilot batches and I was working with a chemist and they were looking at my ratios. I use a very high concentration of my natural materials to alcohol. And my ratio is roughly about 20 to 80, 20 um, perfume materials to 80% alcohol is that at that point, the alcohol became denatured. And so that was the other part to me that was just so surprising was that even though the alcohol with the concentration that I'm at and we submitted all of this to the government it's still they wanted the alcohol when it was being shipped from you basically when it was being shipped from the manufacturer of the or the distributor of the alcohol that it had to have the denatured seal on it for the tax issues to be averted
1: a lot of people have have a misunderstanding that they are required to use denatured alcohol for specific formulation especially in the realm of cosmetics that can kind of umbrella perfuming as well But it's really not true, it's that you have to use certain denatured formulas in order for them to be accepted in what you're doing and for you to be able to get a specially denatured permit from the federal government in order to buy these denatured products that has to be kind of prescribed for your type of product or industry. You know, Again, with the challenges around formulation and the fragrance profile to some of these denatured products, as well as having to get the permit, just absorbing the cost of the excise tax ends up being a, a much more simplistic way. But I think it's important for people to understand you are not required to use a denatured alcohol in order to manufacture or create fragrances or cosmetics or body care products. Um, it is not a legal requirement so i just wanted to make sure i clarified that point
0: thank you i think it's it's really important because again people make a lot of assumptions as you said that it has to be done a specific way and you know doing these in small batches out of my studio in new york i was able to finally make things in a bigger scale
1: well i salute you I, and i relate to that <laughs> in a lot of ways when i first started the distillery i cuz we're in a control state in oregon and um all Beverage formulas, all beverage products that you um, can distribute in the state have to be approved by the OLCC, the, um, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission. And I in, I think in 2000, early 2003, I contacted them and said, hey, I want to put basically a certified organic version of Everclear on on the liquor shelves. Because I have a lot of customers, even though we're the only ones and ha- had been for for." Over a decade that provide one gallon quantities, that was kind of new to the market. We had a lot of people that that even a gallon was too much, and once you add the ridiculous shipping costs because it's a flammable liquid and all that. Um, we were like, you know, if we could get a certified organic, um, you know, in, in kind of the fifth size available liquor stores. We have a lot of customers, you know, hobbyists, small, small, small kind of home users that would love to be able to go down and buy, you know, a fifth of, of our organic high proof alcohol. And essentially, literally, the guy laughed at me on the phone. I mean, he actually laughed out loud and he was like, no one would buy that. No, we wouldn't approve it and that was, you know, that was 2003. Um, Things have changed substantially since then is a very different climate now. And and I'm the one who's laughing really at this point. (laughs) I went into it thinking, oh, you know, you produce corn. Alcohol is the common one. That's sort of what was generally available in the U.S. And that's primarily because corn is one of our largest subsidized agricultural crops. It's not because anybody went and really thought about it and said, oh, this is absolutely the superior thing to make alcohol from. It just is sort of built into the fabric of, of this country. And in some ways, very nostalgic and very lovely. And you think about bourbon and how, you know, as the true American spirit and, you know, you think about all that. And, and of course you probably you know where i go with it is i think about the diversity of corn that was available in the americas and still is thankfully to a lot of really amazing people doing seed saving and preserving strains but the reality is is this industrialized hybridized and now mostly genetically modified corn crop it is it's not the it's not the superior answer to anything it's just kind of what's widely been available and and for me having a lot of customers in 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 making herbal extracts they're like no no it's got to be grain alcohol it's got to be corn alcohol and the reason they're insisting on that is because Most of the early herbal literature refers to grain alcohol, not because it has some superior mystical property that makes a better medicine or a better formulation. It's because that was what was available. You know, if you look to to Europe, you look to France, it's generally they're talking brandy, right? They're talking They're talking brandy and cognac because that's what was available there. And so, you know, I always like to dispel that for people. You know, now we have, you know, we have this beautiful wheat alcohol that's produced in Italy. We love the wheat spirit because it's the most neutral of all of our alcohol. And a lot of people really need that for their formulations. They want the least amount of flavor or fragrance as possible because they're just looking for that blank canvas. Our grape spirit probably has... Some of the the most unique and noticeable character um, in the flavoring industry, they call it flavor potentiator. And these are these are natural characteristics that are imbued in the spirit that can actually add a unique quality or formulation opportunity to to people that are making you know a whole range of of amazing products. And again, the perfumers seem to really love the grape spirit. It seems to work really well for that. We have our organic cane spirit as well. And a lot of that is just economics. I think it's really fortunate. I mean, as corn was our largest seller for over a decade, it's definitely been replaced by cane spirits now because you need sugar and you need to feed that sugar to yeast. So in some ways, cane is really fantastic because whether it's sugar or cane juice or molasses, the sugar is already much more bioavailable. It's, it's in a much more simplistic form, and there's a lot less required to convert those sugars in, into a way that the yeast can, can maximize in, in producing and metabolizing to produce alcohol. And so the cane spirit is, is great. It's, it's not as neutral as the wheat got characteristics to it but it's the it's our least expensive of our organic line so that's obviously really important for a lot of people in business because this raw material is very expensive and now we've brought in a, a line of products which we refer to as our craft grade line these are all alcohols that are produced you know very much in in small batch methods all of our craft grade line right now are actually harvesting the wild and natural yeast that are in the the soil where the crops are being grown. I mean, this in specifically for the grape spirit. And so the fermentation process is done with yeast that are essentially part of the terroir of that land where those grapes are being grown and then fermented and distilled all there in the same place. So there's a kind of magic to that. I You know, I think it's a it's a real alchemy that kind of provides some really unique and special qualities to that alcohol. We're also now bringing in some kind of more exotic and unique spirits. We brought in a lychee alcohol.
0: Which I'm, by the way, totally obsessed with.
1: Okay, awesome.
0: Yeah, a bit of a spoiler alert for listeners is that this will be a key component in a fragrance that will be coming out from us in 2020, which may be called Dirty Lychee. And that alcohol that you're making is spectacular.
1: Oh, well, thank you. And that is amazing. And I would love to get my hands on some of that. And I'm <laughs> more than happy that we can do some uh, alcohol for fragrance trades anytime.
0: Done. <laughs> Done. And so these alcohols, the lychee, the uh, the coconut, so these are made through the fermentation of these materials.
1: Yep. It's like, it's basically you're feeding coconut to the yeast for your coconut alcohol. And, you know, you, once you go through the the, uh, natural fermentation cycle, which is usually three to three days to maybe a week, depending on a lot of things, you know, a lot of variables and factors. Cause really, again, where there's very little we can do in, in, in the fermentation process, you're just working on controlling the conditions, mostly around temperature and consistency, or texture of the of the slurry or the beer or the wine as it's called depending on what you're using and potentially doing a little bit with balancing pH and that kind of thing. But generally, once you once your yeasts have done their job, you're you're monitoring what's called the bricks. It's this sort of sugar uh, um, ratio in in an aqueous solution in a liquid solution, the amount of sugar that's available. Once you've kind of determine that your yeasts have done their thing. They've pretty much died off. You've got your alcohol in a natural process somewhere between eight and 12%. Obviously you're trying really hard to get up there. I mean, occasionally you might hit 14, but that's pretty rare. 10 is probably an average for most natural fermentation. Then you're ready to bring it to the, the still. And that's where kind of You know, the next stage of the alchemy begins, which is, you know, simply distillation is just a mechanical separation of constituents. You're just essentially refining and purifying the alcohol through boiling and condensation and bringing out the water and and other materials, you know, essentially stripping and pulling it out so that what's left is is essentially pure alcohol with a little bit of water and a very, very subtle influence of whatever those source materials were. And that's usually a good sign. A lot of the industrial alcohol, high proof alcohol that's out there, it smells like rubbing alcohol. It's like stripped. It shouldn't be called a spirit anymore because there's just no spirit left in it. It's just sort of like an empty shell. And, you know, again, that works for a lot of a lot of things, you know, a lot of applications. But I think that people that are in the realm of botanicals and fragrance, we're often looking for something else, something with a little more more soul, a little more character, something kind of unique.
0: That again, it just goes back to, you know, some of the products that I'm looking at for next year is really about Pulling it back and about really emphasizing the simplicity. And I just recently got my hands on a harvest that came in from a producer in Bulgaria of a rose that, in so many ways, it smells like a pot of really incredible honey, slightly barleyed and rich and sweet and herbaceous. And then, of course, this like really intense rose note. And it's something that, you know, I have no idea. It's unlikely that I'm going to get more of it so i'm going to buy a large quantity and something that amazing you really just want to allow it to sing and working with one of your craft alcohols an obvious would be like coconut alcohol with this incredible bulgarian rose it's only going to happen once there's something about these alcohols that you're doing working with these materials like the lychee and the coconut and you know where that The potential of that can go and i think for natural perfumers it's so exciting to have the base that you can work with having its potency and its authenticity
1: what i always say to people is why does the grape spirit smell and taste different than this corn spirit when you produce it naturally. Why does this lychee spirit or coconut smell radically, taste radically different? Well, because whatever materials you're using, whatever you're putting into the process from grinding or macerating or mashing or juicing your, your source material all the way through fermentation, distillation, whatever that is, it is imbued on some subtle level in the finished product there is no denying it or else they would all be the same at the end and so you're telling me that the mass application of antibiotics and bactericides and chemical solvents and all of the nasty stuff that's going in there—that there isn't trace amounts to that. I don't know. I can't believe it. At some point, hopefully, we'll develop a, a testing method that's sophisticated enough to provide some data behind that. But that's always been my belief. And you know, I—I I know for me, it's—it's it's an easy vote. I'd rather spend a little more money knowing that I'm supporting something from seed to finished product that. Is doing some good in the world and supporting something that feels and resonates on a much more real and and wholesome level for me.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, Aaron. This was unbelievable. What an amazing conversation. I. I have to thank you not only for joining me for this discussion and bringing your incredible wealth of knowledge to this podcast, but also to you and to everyone at Organic Alcohol for making such beautiful products for us to work with. I think as an artist that the most important thing is finding the most beautiful materials to be able to work with. And and you guys are certainly doing it. So if anyone is interested in learning more about your products and purchasing them, they can find them at Organic Alcohol alcohol.com.